0: Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today's episode is a bite-sized recording from our recent live collab event with Australia's leading strength and conditioning coaches in the high school setting. Today's episode is with Nathan Heaney, who is Head of Athlete Performance and Development at Xavier College. His subject was on GPS utilization with aspirational junior footballers and its impact on training planning and periodization. You can connect with Nathan via his Instagram and check out his website, runningprogram.com.au. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Nate. Thanks for jumping on, mate. No problem, Jack. Thanks for the invite and thanks for having me. Let's dive straight into your topic. What are some of your key considerations when dealing with Australian rules footballers from a from a GPS
1: reporting point of view? Yeah, no problem. So it's actually obviously timely that I've followed on from from Jared. So there's going to be some similarities here because I think we obviously share a pretty similar philosophy on it, but. I guess one of the key things for me is ensuring that your GPS metrics are valid and reliable. So, based on some of the metrics that that Jared alluded to using, he clearly has a slightly more sophisticated GPS units than me. So, that valid and reliability concept is is obviously unit dependent. So, there's obviously, I guess, with the advent of of less expensive GPS units now, they're they're I guess more widely accessible across schools. So, we have probably we use a slightly cheaper brand than certainly what would be used at an AFL level, and as such, that has an impact on what metrics we can use. So we, you know, we tend to stick to duration, distance, work rate, high-intensity running, both absolute and relative, and then obviously max speed. So they're kind of our key fundamental metrics that we would use. Another key aspect is making sure that the reporting that you provide, both to coaches and students, and also, I guess, parents too, they always, I mean, I'm, I'm very confident that children and kids pass on the GPS data to, the, to families, it's making sure yeah. that the, the the report is relatable and the athletes actually understand the information. I think that's so critical because there can be a lot of misconceptions that arise off the back of a poor understanding with the GPS data. And then I guess the other thing, and, and Jared definitely alluded to this, the types of sessions that you're using it with has a massive impact on what the key considerations are. So, for example, if you're providing a report for training versus a game, it's completely different. Yeah. So the game, you just... Describing what's happened and and there's obviously context around results and and conditions and opposition etc. Whereas for training, it's much more about um, you know how do you provide a, a session that's achieving the theme or the or the session goal? How does it align with the the broader periodization? And also how does the actual data compare to what was predicted? You know that's really critical. So that's that's sort of a really key piece. And I I actually had planned some slides to to show because I thought it would be easier for people to understand, but obviously we can't do that now. But that, that's a really key piece. Yeah. Uh, and then phase of the season as well. So that's that's a, a really important aspect. So, for example, if we're in pre-season, the, the considerations are entirely different. So the, the preparation is revolving around how are we preparing students to get ready to play versus in-season. It's more about how we're we managing the early phase of the week to, to facilitate recovery from a, from a, a you know their biggest stimulus for the week and then how do we then shift focus on Thursday to try and take a more performance-focused approach to training? So it's, you know, in, in essence, a, a main training session to optimally prepare them for the game on Saturday. So they're the, the key considerations. And I guess one thing that I think everyone in this room will probably relate to is all of their school environments have significant constraints associated with them. Mm-hmm. And like I know, for example, at you know, Xavier College where I work, our pre entire is entirely completed. In the mornings, before so it doesn't conflict with their summer sport commitments, and as such, we one have very short we're very short on time. We run out of lie. So as such, when we when we actually get into the the crux of our preseason, when we think about trying to meet match demands or prepare or prepare them for the imminent game loading, we have to rely on practice games to do that because there is no way we can get even close through our training sessions. So yeah, they're just a, a few key considerations that I look at. Yeah, thank you. That's a great response. Uh, and from a GPS point of view, how do you use it to periodize footballers training program? Yeah, so that's a, a really good question. And again, data would probably make it a bit easier to, to, to describe, but it's very much done in conjunction with the coaching group. So in my role and working really closely with the First 18 coaching group at Xavier, I, I'm really lucky that I've got a coaching group that really understands and relates to, to, to GPS and, and it's important. So Obviously, it's done in conjunction with the coaching group, and it does require quite a few steps. So obviously, one of them you've already touched on, and that is formulating a drill database because essentially, without that drill database, one, it's really hard to identify session themes that are important, and, and then also session themes that sort of intertwine to the different periodization phases and different types of training sessions. And then the other aspect to that is how do you then cross-reference your, your actual sessions that, you've, that you're completing? In relation to what you predicted. And that's, I think that's a really key concept. And that's where you can't do that without having access to a drill database. So that's a really important piece. The other aspect, which is probably really relatable for people given the phase of year that everyone's in, if we, if we focus in on like an in season phase for GPS utilization, and this is a, the model I've, you know, really successfully implemented at Xavier with the footy program there. If you think about two training sessions, which most people have access to Tuesday and a Thursday, and they, and they play on a Saturday. So Unlike an AFL environment, which, which obviously I was accustomed to before, we have a very set structure. Like we only have a seven-day turnaround. We, we train on the, the same day every week. There's no sliding schedules or anything. So Tuesday for us is a development skill session. So the, the, the types of drills that are implemented and used in that session, skill-focused. There's not a lot of speed. We, we, we really try and focus on providing like an active recovery stimulus to the group. So that's done. If we do that well, the theory is, They're going to be optimally recovered from the game, and they're going to be optimally prepared to complete the main training session on the Thursday. And the Thursday is almost like a no holds barred session. There's obviously some constraints around speed and distance and duration, but in terms of drill type, you know, there's drills that sort of centre around impact, speed, work rate, and we also tie in our max speed running there too. So again, that's (laughs) I could speak about this for ninety minutes, but I think the the key concept there is just making sure that the the, the, period, like the periodization is underpinned by the session, the session focus and session goal. And then obviously, GPS can absolutely be used to help to facilitate
0: that. Yeah. And something that's coming through in the last sort of five minutes, with it, you're bringing everyone in with the data, with, you know, not just from the athlete's perspective, but also the coaches with planning of training and then also parents that I like that you touched on that. What are some sort of common questions that you find parents that, that, are, that are interested in GPS are asking, for, for potentially parents that are listening in that are interested maybe to invest in GPS for their child, maybe their school doesn't go to or their club doesn't use GPS? Yeah, what are some common questions from parents? Yeah,
1: I think the big one is, and I think this is probably, a, this refers back to like, you know, I'm sort of fast-forwarding a bit in terms of it's a mistake as well. So one of the biggest issues is p- parents And students as well, they associate GPS data with uh, with performance, like that is could not be further from the truth. So I think one thing we should definitely dispel here is that GPS is not a performance metric. It's, you know, it's simply a byproduct of what's happened in a game or a training session, and it's largely underpinned by your physical quality. So, for example, if you have an athlete that doesn't possess great max speed, well, they're going to find it more challenging to hit a a high max speed. And also, they're going to be challenged in terms of hitting high absolute and relative high-intensity running meters. So I think that is a really key concept, and I try and ingrain that really early with our students and our, and our families so that they don't think that high is better or more is better with, when it comes to GPS. And then I guess in terms of one thing we're trying to do at, at Xavier is almost develop a bit of a, I guess, a, a progression for for our students in our footy program. So we're starting to use GPS on, on students as, as young as year eight so as they, you know, as they sort of come through the, the Xavier system in terms of our football program, they've had access to GPS all the way through, the parents understand what it's used for, the kids are familiar with it, and also we can start to see, well, hey, here's the demands of, of, the, of the game and training as you come through the system. Ultimately, you have aspirations to play in our first 18 program. Here's, the de- here's what the demands are for that. So when you're coming into year 10, it's really important that we pay you know, careful consideration to certain GPS metrics so that we can better prepare you to come into the, the pre-season to give yourself the best chance to, to make the squad. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's probably a few more, but they're probably the main ones. Hey
0: there. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Nathan Heaney. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet of our interview with Nilesh Murthy. For those guys that like you've seen, um, the best athletes at, at the highest level for, for nearly a decade now, what, what do they do well? Um, from from many, it doesn't have to be the the uh, medical world, but just how they prepare, how they train, game day, everything that you've, you've seen that you've learnt yourself. What is what are some things that
2: young footballers um, need to focus on? Do you think? I think that again, being a one being a one club, you, we've seen players come and go, but we've also seen um, you know kids from 2011 turn into men in two thousand twelve and um at the giants um you know your original players i think what they do really well that they're consistent and, and they they're consistent at being a professional footballer it's not um within club hours but they're consistent at being a professional footballer uh, throughout their um you know week um and, and i think that they do the 99% of the stuff really well and they hound in into the 1% of things so they they tick all those boxes and you know if you like i said the footballers are listening yeah, our, our boys are um, be going to you know recovery centres on the days off, um, you know, doing their prep pre training. Um, they'll be doing their extras post gym. That, that that being regardless, do tendon loading, you know, or extras in terms of their past history of you know, shoulder injury or knee injury. Um, and I think one of the big difference, big different things I've realised in players and open players that have probably come from other clubs initially when they're old, older, and probably you know um, had the balls to ask, ask questions and challenge us. Why am I doing um, this? Um, I think that well kind of helps. We had a couple of players come through, like, for example, made DeBoer.
0: To hear more from Nilesh, make sure to scroll to episode 57 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Are you a strength and conditioning coach who is feeling overworked, underpaid, and undervalued? Join me on our next Prepare Like a Pro live coaching event for strength and conditioning coaches wanting to make an impact in elite sport. This live coaching call provides everything you really need to know as a strength and conditioning coach. If you have signed up to our email newsletter, we have limited early bird tickets available. For more information, head to the links in our show notes. Yeah, yeah you touched on it for a second there, but what are some some common mistakes from strength and conditioning coaches that are utilising GPS as a tool?
1: Yeah, so I'm glad I've dispelled the first one. So that's that's like I think that's a really serious issue when people use GPS. So I'm glad we've, we've been able to broach that. Another one that I think happens quite a lot is schools or clubs. When they collect GPS data they don't actually present it or report it to the students or the athletes so I think if you're capturing the data on on your athletes like it's only fair to share it with them so I think that's really important and then obviously ties into one of the initial points I made around making sure the data is both relatable and understandable so it resonates with with the students and they understand why you're capturing the data and, and what it means for them as well so how do they get better and how do they improve and What do they need to focus on for subsequent games and training sessions? So I think that's that's really important. This is probably tied more into training session reporting, not providing context. So I think one thing I'm really big on is when you're providing a training report and a particular report to coaches where you might be reporting on different training drills and what they elicit, it's providing context. So what was the session goal? What were the session targets? And how does the actual data compare to that? Because that provides mm-hmm. you with context. Did the did the did the session go for or elicit 1.5k more than you planned? Well, okay, it did. But why? Like, how can you mm-hmm. how can you not let that happen again? Or was it or was it a, a decision you made in consultation in consultation with the coaches at the time? I think that stuff's really important. And then, yeah. So I think I think they're probably the big ones. Yeah, Jack, I think I think yeah, they're, they're probably the the key the key mistakes that I see across across people that use GPS.
0: Yeah, it'd be good to unpack a little bit more with that, with the, the reflection piece uh, that you've touched on. So for those listening in that perhaps potentially are putting the units on, turning them on, creating your report, and then moving on to the next session, they're not reflecting on, that they don't have any targets, and then they're not comparing how far off they are with a target. When you started doing that or, or working with coaches that have just started that process, what are some common gaps that you see? Is its it, is it generally high speed running that goes out the window early on when you're new to that concept or is it speed exposure accel decels?
1: what are some some things that you think that you can learn from mm. doing that process yeah good question i think one of the major issues i've seen and this is probably a pretty consistent issue is coaches always want to do more so i think for me i've probably been somewhat of a handbrake and it's probably not so much in like i think sometimes it's session volume and session length that that they they just want more out of the the students so they're trying to achieve more But I think the message sometimes is more is not better in the context of of the training sessions. And the other aspect is when I think about more and when you think about training intensity, sometimes it's not so much volume that is an issue. It's the type of volume that you're accruing. So for example, our Tuesday session, it might be, I think in some cases, it can almost be higher volume than our Thursday, but the session is much less intense. Like the types of drills we use are, are significantly reduced in intensity yeah, there's very little change of direction. There's very little high-speed running. There's no impact. So by virtue of all of those changes, we can, we can still, you know, complete a 4 or 5K session, but it actually serves an active recovery purpose. So I think that's really, really, really important. And then I think the other one is the only way you can create engagement with the coaches is, is if you open them up to the conversation. So when you have sessions that haven't necessarily hit the mark, I think what I, I found a good method I find to to try and create the conversation with the coaches is to almost prepare I prepare like a, a training drill report. So essentially every training drill we've completed for the session, I I compile a report for that. And that's not for the players. Like sometimes I might pull an example out for the for the students and athletes, but more often than not, it's for the coaching group. So we can have a look at, well, the session missed the mark. We didn't accrue enough speed. Okay, where did we fall down? So then I can look at what was predicted relative high intensity running for that drill? What did it elicit? Okay, why did we miss the mark? Did we have too many players in the drill? Were we forced to share a ground with another team and we couldn't use enough space? Again, those, those conversations are created off the back of the report and then we can sort of address them for a subsequent session. So there's been countless times that, that uh, the coaching group at Xavier and I have had those discussions and you know they've always been really fruitful, and we've had really good positive change off the back of them. So yeah, hopefully that answered some of the queries you had.
0: Definitely, and then last one on that topic because I think it's a really important one. With when you when you start doing that process, do you find that your ability to make decisions on the fly within a session
1: more sound because of the the process of reflection? Yeah, so that's an interesting. One, so uh, Jared alluded to the fact that they track GPS live again. Our, our units have the capacity to do that through a, an iPhone, but The issue we have with that method is we can't cut any data whilst we're doing it. So there's just like heaps of data creep and it becomes pretty redundant. So we don't track live. And I think to your point, I think it's a combination of knowing the game and then also overlaying that with GPS data. I think that gives you a real capacity to understand and assess drills on the fly. So for example, on a Tuesday night, and again, I'm not saying, trust me, by no means is this system perfect, there's definitely been, been, been occasions where, particularly on a Tuesday night, where the drill, the drill selection potentially has overshot what I wanted. But I think by and large, what happens there is you can accommodate by changing the Thursday, for example, or you can discuss it with the coaches. But for example, it might be then on a Tuesday night, there might be a drill that has too much high-speed running. So it's too expansive and there's, there's too much pressure in it. So then by virtue of doing that, the students, you know, Immediately lift their intensity because they feel like they're going to get tackled by someone, or they're, or they're getting pressured. So, those types of things you can pick up on the on the fly. And I think it's once you see the impact of those types of changes to training in the GPS data, it then just adds credence to, to, to I guess the the, the eye test. You know, you start to see you start to see those things unfold, and you can you can sometimes you can intervene live. Other times you've got to wait retrospectively to assess the 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 damage. <laughs> And then, and then you can sort of report on it, and then have a conversation around it.
0: Fantastic. Well, yeah, thank, thanks so much for, for jumping on and, and sharing with us how you apply GPS in a football program. For those that want to connect with you, mate, you're also the founder of Condition Consultant. Do you want to give us a little plug there on what Condition Consultant does for S and C's as well as athletes?
1: and then where can people get in contact with you? Yeah, thanks, Jake. So yeah, I'm probably the easiest way is through the the Instagram handle at, conditioning, at the conditioning consultant. Yeah, and I guess it was sort of, it was set up a couple of years ago to uh, provide better education and information around a topic that I think is sometimes misunderstood by, by a lot of people. So I, you know, I happen to do a lot of lecturing through the ACA and you know, most people's strength training knowledge sits up here and conditioning sits down here. So it's trying to bridge the gap a little bit and provide, whether it be athletes or aspirational s coaches and sports scientists with just a platform to, to learn a bit more about about conditioning application. So whether that's GPS utilization or, or interval application or or better understanding of some of the underpinning physiology, that's kind of been the focus. So yeah, thanks. Awesome. Uh, thank you. And
0: yeah, thank you again for sharing your time. For those that want to get in contact, we'll, we'll add the links in the show notes, guys, so you can check out the conditioning consultant and, and Nate Heaney's work there. Thanks, thanks again, Nate. No worries, mate. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such a QA and a segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian on the football club. What are things that, that fire you up?
3: Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is... Um it'll be topical for most people i think but staying in your lane and i yep. often find that with nutrition everyone eats so everyone has an opinion and i think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes,
2: yeah, like game game change.
3: changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah.
0: Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength and conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So, I'll handle it over to you ramita to, to ask your question mate thanks for joining us
2: excellent thanks jack and yeah thanks um thanks sam for the chat it was uh i found it to be really insightful plenty of gems in there um and i enjoyed it a lot um mate, my my question to you was you spoke a, a quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat um and i was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm,
4: yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life in football or, you know, maybe whatever, as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you having a hard time. Um, it can be massive with just yet yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. so that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then. And, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off.
0: And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it would be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.